Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. How many of you have had um, an embarrassing moment when you were in uni or in secondary school? Any, anybody? Is that just me? Okay, if you, no, some of you aren't raising your hands, and I question whether or not you're being completely truthful right now. I imagine all of us have an embarrassing moment or two from our uh, growing up years, our time at uni, and I just thought this morning I, I would like to share with you, if that's okay, one of my embarrassing moments when I was at uni. Is that okay? Okay, all right. Well, at some point, I actually don't remember where this was during my time at uni, like how far along I was, uh, if this was my first year or what, but uh, I, I, no, it wasn't my first year. It had to be later, but... Um, I decided that I wanted to take a solo camping trip, and so I was talking to one of my friends who lived near me, and, and she suggested this national park near her home in Norman, Oklahoma. This is a great place to go uh, camping, and so I said, that sounds good, and, and one weekend I got all my gear together and decided I was going to go, and she said, well, hey, since you're heading near my home, uh, can I hitch a ride with you and go see my family? And I said, yeah, sure, that'll be great. And so we drove together up to her home, and I dropped her off and went camping for the weekend. But the, the thing that was inexplicable as I look back on it was the fact that I decided that I was going to do the whole trip there and back on one tank of petrol. Now, that distance, I looked it up on Google just to, just to remind myself, that distance was a distance of uh, 540 miles from Waco, Texas to Norman, Oklahoma, and I thought, I was confident my car could make it. I, was, I, I believed that it was, it was capable of accomplishing such a thing. And so I tanked up right before, you know, filled up with petrol right before we left uh, 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 Texas where I was uh, going to university and headed off, and it worked out great. On the way up there, I had a nice tailwind, and I made it halfway at the halfway mark with more than half a tank left. So I was in good shape, I thought. So uh, as we started on our way home, everything was going well, but I noticed that that, that needle was, was, this is, you know, before you had like electronic dashboards and everything, that needle was dipping quicker than I thought it would, but I still believed I could make it. And uh, with about 50 miles to go, though, I was getting pretty nervous because the, the low fuel light was on. We were basically, you know, there was that like little orange dot at the end or little, where, where the needle goes to, and I'm like, well, maybe it's like past the orange dot. You know, how low does that needle have to go before you're actually out of petrol? You know, I was like, well, hopefully, surely they built in a little bit of wiggle room, right? Right? But I was getting nervous, you know, like I, you know, that I kind of quit talking and, and uh, was pretty much focused on, you know, coasting the downhills and hitting that accelerator as gently as possible on the uphills and conserving as much petrol as I could. And I was just counting the miles and we were almost there. But with about 30 miles left to go, I felt the, the car go, you know, and I was like, oh, no, 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 maybe that was just a mistake, no, but sure enough, it began to sputter, and I had to pull over to the side of the road out of petrol, and uh, I could tell by the look on my friend's face that she was not altogether impressed with my little experiment and the fact that I had run out of petrol, and uh, now she was, who was eager to get back to her home so she could study because she had classes the next day. She was like, hey, you know, I could tell she was 
a bit, she was gracious, but I could tell she was not impressed. I had to get out and do the walk of shame, you know, a half a mile from where I was uh, pulled over at the side of the motorway to the nearest petrol station. And then I had to, you know, get a jerry can full of petrol and haul it back. And it was hot and I was sweaty and I hadn't showered all weekend because I'd been camping and now I'm covered with petrol. So I'm sure I smelled amazing. And then while I was, uh, putting the petrol in my car. I got bit by fire ants, which is like kind of annoying and painful. And uh, it was just altogether super embarrassing. And I felt kind of like an idiot. And for the life of me, I don't know why I did it. You know, like, I, 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 I know that this is something that Top Gear does, you know, they, they actually did a Top Gear challenge like this. I like to think I was way ahead of my time and I deserve credit for Top Gear's idea, but this was like, they're doing it for the cameras and for our entertainment, and they've got a camera crew, so if they run out of petrol, it's no big deal. But for me, I'm just doing this just for kicks, I guess. But it was kind of embarrassing, and my, my dear friend, uh, you know, had to uh, endure uh, quite a wait as I sorted all of that out. And needless to say, I learned my lesson from that and haven't repeated any more personal Top Gear challenges uh, since that time. But the reason I tell you this story today is because it illustrates the point that I really want to make in today's message, and that just as vehicles are created to run on petrol, uh, our souls need fuel to run on. Our souls need fuel just as much as a vehicle needs petrol, and we need to understand what that fuel is and how to get it, or we're going to experience far worse problems than just being pulled over on the side of the motorway and enduring the uh, awkward stares of cars as they go whizzing past you. Without the fuel for our souls, we're going to struggle to be the people that God has created us to be. Without fuel for our souls, we, 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 we kind of break down. You know, we have different terms for this now. We, we talk about being burnt out or being depressed or or dealing with chronic anxiety, or uh, exhaustion, just being like totally tired all the time, or, or being really stressed out, or experiencing a lack of motivation, or, or maybe we're dealing with addiction. Actually, I think addiction is an example of us trying to fuel ourselves with the wrong fuel, and we get involved in something that's, that seems good and seems like it's fueling our souls, but it's actually not, and then we get addicted. The scriptures call this losing heart. And it can have a profound effect on our relationship with God. And Jesus highlighted the importance of fueling our souls in Matthew 25 in one of his parables, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And I know a lot of you are familiar with this, but I want to read the parable in its entirety, and then we'll talk about what it means. Let's look at it here. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Uh, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him! All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, 
the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now, I think most readers, myself included, find this to be an unnerving parable. Um, it's unnerving because it seems, you know, vaguely threatening. You know, like, uh, is, it, is this saying that, that, that we won't get into heaven if we don't have enough olive oil? Like, what is this about? Like, what does that mean? How, how, can, I, how can I avoid whatever Jesus is talking about here? It's all a bit confusing. You know, what is Jesus warning us about in this passage? Well, obviously, this parable is an al- a parable itself is an allegory, and it's not meant to be taken literally. Jesus isn't giving us really strict instructions for how to prepare for a wedding. Everything in here is representative of something else. And so, I think the, the, the different elements of the story that, that, well, Matthew doesn't really give us an explanation. In some of the parables that Jesus gives, we get an explanation of what he's trying to say. In this one, we don't. So, there's a, a little bit of um, uh, we have to just speculate and wonder about what Jesus is talking about here. And as I've prayed about this and looked at this this week and just looked at different commentaries and listened to different people talking about this, I really think there's some, something really important for all of us in this passage that we need to learn from. But before we can really dig into all that, we need to understand the cultural context in which Jesus said this because The way that they practice weddings in the first century Israel is totally different from how we do weddings today. And so what would have been very obvious to Jesus' listeners in the first century is not so obvious to us about what's going on because we don't live in that culture. And so Jewish weddings, I mean, they're absolutely fascinating. And sometimes, I mean, I could take a whole sermon to talk about a Jewish wedding in the first century because there's so much symbolism there, and it actually unlocks a lot of what Jesus is is saying in the Scriptures if you understand how a, a first century Jewish wedding was conducted. But we don't have time to do that today. So what I want to explain to you is really just what we're talking about at the beginning of a wedding. Because in, you know, in our day, the, the, the wedding really begins when the bride enters the room where the ceremony is going to take place, and that's the first time that the groom sees the bride, and it's this beautiful moment. But that's not how Jewish weddings worked then. See, when the wedding was ready to begin, the groom and his wedding party, often including his father and, and some of his you know, best men, they would, they would go from his family home to the bride's family home and collect his bride who was being made ready for that occasion. And then instead of just, you know, hopping on the donkey and heading straight back as quickly as possible, what they do is the bride would sit on a horse or donkey, more likely, and they would, they would take this meandering route, kind of forming this euphoric, disorganized parade back through the village. They would go through every little street, and they would, they'd be, there'd be celebration, and there'd be tambourines, and there'd be drums, and they'd make as much racket as possible. This could happen any time, day or night, and it, but they wanted everybody to see what was happening, for everybody to rejoice and celebrate and cheer them on as they were leading the wedding party back to the groom's home where the ceremony would take place and all the, the wedding festivities that would follow. So this is the way that the the wedding ceremonies began, 
And so when they would arrive at the groom's family home, there would be a large crowd outside to welcome the wedding party as they arrived there. And this is what these, bride, these bridesmaids were doing. They were standing outside with these lamps to illuminate their way as they came to the groom's home. Now, these lamps, I actually have one here, are quite small. So something like this. This is actually one that I picked up when I was in Israel a couple of years ago. But it would look like this, something quite small. Put olive oil in there, and then the, 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 the candle or the light, this is the, the, uh, the first century equivalent of a torch, right? So they would have these there. Some would maybe be on poles lifted up high. Some of them would just be holding them like this. And this was just a way of welcoming the wedding party back to the house. But of course, as you can see, these are quite small. So the olive oil that the candles are running on would be used up quite quick, and so they'd have a flask with them to replenish their oil. Now, what's happened in this story is that some of these bridesmaids, they've just come with their, with their little lamps, but they've forgotten to bring their flask with them. They, they, they didn't take due care to bring that with them, and that would have been a humiliating thing. It would have been careless and inattentive and, and really kind of speak of the lack of value for what was happening, and that was a no-no in that culture. Now, Jesus' first century hearers, as he told this story, would have immediately understood all this. I mean, they'd seen this enacted in their, in their villages countless times, so they, they all knew what he was talking about. For us, we're kind of like, huh? You know? But now, that's, now that you understand a little bit of the context of what's happening, begins to un. Uh, unlock a little bit of what Jesus is saying in this passage. But one of the things that that is clear about all this is that Jesus is, in his parables, he's both speaking to his listeners at the time, the people that were actually hearing him tell the story. There was one layer of meaning for them, and there's another layer of meaning for all of his followers in the future to come. So one of the things that's clear is that Jesus is talking about his second coming, that when he returns, that we need to be ready. In fact, this parable occurs in a whole series of parables in the end of Matthew where the theme is the same. That is that we're to keep alert and to to be on guard or to watch for Jesus's return. He hits this theme over and over again. It's it's the lifestyle that Christians are meant to live by, that we are supposed to be longing for and waiting for and eagerly expecting Jesus's return. But as he tells this parable, what he also makes clear is that that return may not come as quickly as some people thought that it would, because it says, you know, the bridegroom was delayed, delayed so much that everybody falls asleep. And so there's this sense in which Jesus is saying, hey, look, you got to be ready, but also be, be, acknowledge the fact that this may take longer than you're anticipating and be prepared to wait. So there's something about our faith as, as a Christian where we're to keep watch, to, to look out for the return of our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus himself. And that is the posture that we're to have as believers. But we think of keeping watch as like being on guard duty. You know, we, we, we need to guard something that's valuable from being stolen or taken or damaged. And, and that means, you know, being alert and not falling asleep. But in this parable, keeping watch didn't necessarily mean not falling asleep. Keeping watch, uh, because remember, all all the different bridesmaids, they all fell asleep, both the wise ones and the foolish. They all fell asleep. But keeping watch in this parable meant being prepared and having enough oil 
to endure and, and, and wait for the bridegroom to come. So keeping watch meant not running out of oil, which then brings up the next obvious question. What does this oil represent? Do we all need to like go out and invest in extra virgin olive oil or something like that? You know, what is he talking about? Well, all throughout the Old and the New Testament, oil is, uh, is a symbol of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the presence of God or intimacy with God. And if you read through it, uh, if you read through the Old and New Testament, what you find is, is when kings and priests and prophets are commissioned or inaugurated into their roles, they're anointed with oil. And that anointing is saying, you need more than just your natural wisdom and strength to carry this out. You need the Spirit of God to empower you and strengthen you to fulfill the role for which God has called you. So, for example, in, uh, when Samuel anoints David to be the new king of Israel, remember, he finds him, and, or he goes to David's family, and there's seven brothers, and he, he goes through all of them. This is the one, this is the one. And then David is called in from being the shepherd out in the fields, and, and he, he takes out his flask of oil, pours it on David, and it says then that the, whole, the Spirit of God came mightily upon David from that day forward. It's a picture of the Spirit of God filling us, strengthening us, empowering us. And it wasn't long after that that David goes out to kill Goliath. So the oil is a picture of the presence of God in our lives, the strength of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God in our lives. And we, of course, are the lamp. And the key idea is that lamps... Uh, that, that lamps need oil to run on, and our souls need, just, just as lamps need oil to run on, our souls need fuel as well. I like how C.S. Lewis puts this in Mere Christianity. He says this, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. So what I'm saying here is that our souls are created to run on God's spirit himself, the, the, the presence of God in our lives. Not just a general belief about God, but a daily experiential reality of God's presence and His Spirit in our lives. And that can take all kinds of different forms. It can, you know, feel like a sense of peace. It can feel like a sense of joy. It can feel uh, like, uh, 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 you know, maybe we encounter Him in different ways. There's, there's countless examples I can give, but God's presence is meant to be something that we experience on a regular basis, and that is what the oil here is symbolizing. Now, what Jesus is warning us, though, is that we can run out of oil. Now, by running out, I don't mean that there's like not enough of God to go around. It's that, it's that we don't partake of or pause, just as, you know, I went by countless petrol stations on my drive back from Oklahoma to Texas and could have stopped at any one of them to fill up. We often go right past our opportunities to, to refill ourselves with the presence of God, to be nourished by Him, strengthened by Him, and as a result, we run out of the oil of our, that, that our soul needs. And Jesus calls this foolish. Not evil, not insincere, 
but foolish. He's saying that, that there, are, there are Christians who are very sincere in their devotion to God, and they really want to do uh, what God is calling them to do, but they're not storing up oil in their hearts, and that is foolish. In fact, you know, people who are often the most sincere are often most at risk of running dry because they're, they're very sincere in their commitment to love God and serve God, and they're doing lots of stuff for God, but they forget that, that this is all meant to be the overflow of our relationship with God. And so as a result, they burn out, they run dry, they, they lose the oil that's in their lives. And this is what Jesus is warning about, and he's calling it foolish. And that's what I felt that day. You know, when I, when I was sitting on the side of the road, I got a little token of that, you know, this foolish thing that I had done, I'd run out of petrol, but the thing with running out of fuel is that it's often something that could be prevented. Like I said, I could have stopped at all these different petrol stations along the way, but I didn't. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's foolish because there's an abundance of my spirit for every one of you if you will just come to me. Come to me. As he said in, in John 7 about, come to me all who are thirsty and I will give you living water for your souls. That's the same idea. He's saying, look, there's an abundance so come to me. Don't be foolish and just try to do all this in your own strength. So in the kingdom, what we have to understand is that it's our responsibility to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. It's our responsibility to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. This needs to be a, a daily experience. You know, a lot of us, we experience, we've experienced the presence of God at some point in our lives. You know, maybe it was uh, when we first became a follower of Jesus, or maybe, you know, we got filled with the Holy Spirit, or we had some sort of encounter with God that was life-changing, but it was 20 years ago. And that isn't enough to sustain us day in and day out. We need more. It says, uh, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, it says, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the connotation there is that we're to be filled on a daily basis. This is a an ongoing thing that we actually need if we're going to live the Christian life that God has uh, ordained us to live. But the problem is that, you know, it, 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 there are seasons where we get busy. You know, we live in a hectic, crazy world, and there's, there's obviously going to be more, uh, times when we're pouring out more than we're giving or more than we're receiving. So there are times when we have to just really, you know, we're, we're doing lots of ministry and we're pouring out, but that's not meant to be the norm. We're meant to be reservoirs and live out of the overflow of the Spirit of God within us. But in our world, you know, like I said, we're distracted, we're busy, and we're living at such a fast pace that it's easy for our reservoirs of oil to run dry. It's easy, easy for us to get disconnected from God and start to run on empty. And we call this burning out or burning the candle at both ends or all the different you know, things that we are seeing as kind of an epidemic of anxiety and all these different things in our society. And we can't, you know, just as these, I love how small this is because it illustrates the fact that you're not going to go very long without a refill. And in a sense, our souls don't have that great of a capacity. It just, we burn through the Spirit of God pretty quickly. We need more of it. So how do you know if you're running low on oil? How do you know if you're, you're, you're struggling a little bit, or if you're, you're starting to get dried up. I just want to name some different things that you might experience, and you know, one of them might be that your sense of inner peace is just taken away, that you're filled with anxiety all the time. If that's the case, then you might be running low on oil. If your hope is easily shaken, you know, you see something in the news or somebody tells you something, 
and you immediately go to the worst case scenario, then you're probably running low on oil. <clears throat> if you're emotionally empty or flat, you could be running low on oil. If you're becoming cynical, if that's your natural response to everything, you could be running low on oil. You could be running low on oil if you find yourself indifferent to the things of God. You could be running low on oil if the commands of the Lord begin to seem burdensome and not something that you, you do joyfully. You could be running low on oil if you're finding yourself growing impatient or angry or, uh, or lacking empathy for the people in your life. You can be running low on oil if you're uh, struggling with temptation or discouragement or depression. Um, you could be running low on oil if you're just struggling to carry out the roles and responsibilities that God has given you. And you hear me, I understand that there's lots of causes for some of the things that I've mentioned, but I think all of those things could be indications that you're just running low on oil and you just need more than anything else. You just need the Spirit of God to fill you afresh. But when we run out of the presence of God, the consequences can be really serious. And just like it says in the parable, you know, when you run out of oil, then we can be cut off from what God's doing. We can, our, the, the ministry that he's called us to, the ability that we have to do the things that he has called us to do, we, we run out of that. We lose our sense of connection with God. And the easy yoke of Jesus suddenly becomes this crushing weight because he's not, you don't have the grace that you need to sustain you. And if you, you, you experience that, try to live the Christian life apart from God, you find that it can be really dry, really empty, and that's a dark place. And, and you become much more susceptible to the enemy. You become much more susceptible to temptation because that's not how we were made to function. Now, before you beat yourself up too much, I want you to understand that, that probably everyone here is in a state of at least partial depletion after the last couple of years that we've been through. I mean, I don't think we really understand the psychological impact of a pandemic and lockdown and political chaos with Brexit and all the other things that are happening. And then, you know, we've got inflation happening and we've got another, you know, wave after wave of the pandemic. And then now we've got a war in Ukraine that has a lot of people nervous. I mean, these things are stacking up and it takes, it takes its toll on us far more than we realize. And then you add on to that the spiritual warfare that's happening today. There's some prophetic friends that, that I really trust, and one of the things I've heard people say repeatedly in recent years is that there's been an increase of darkness on the earth. It's almost like, you know, there's, there's an eclipse that's happening that, that's just blocking the light of God that, that we were accustomed to. And so there's been an increase of chaos and death and despair and hopelessness and desolation. And some of you are wondering, like, what's wrong with me? I, I, I feel hopeless. I, like, this isn't me. That's not normal. Like, why am I struggling so much? And you need to understand that we live in the context of a spiritual battle that's raging. And maybe what you're experiencing isn't you necessarily. You're just feeling the, the, the impact of the spiritual warfare that's all around you. And that's why James encourages us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And some of us need to Simply practice resisting the devil, resisting that, that pull towards hopelessness, resist that pull towards despair and desolation, and, and know that this is, a, this is a battle that we need to fight on a daily basis. 
So all that to say, if you're running low on oil right now, if you're feeling burnt out, then I'm not surprised. And I want to just extend you grace and mercy and, include, and, and encourage you to show yourself grace and mercy. But at the same time, let's not stay here. You know, this isn't where you were created to live. This isn't the way that you were created to live the Christian life. And so we have a responsibility, as I said, to cultivate the oil of God, the Spirit of God in our hearts. God will supply the oil, but we've got to be intentional to, to access it, to tap into it, to stop at the spiritual petrol station, if you will, and fill up. And that could be costly at times. It means saying no to different things in order for you to have the space to be filled up with God. But did you notice that, you know, and, and this is something that no one can do for you. I mean, did you notice in the parable that, that when the, the foolish bridesmaids approached the wise bridesmaids and said, hey, we need some of your oil, they said no. Actually, let's look at it again here. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Now, now what's going on with that? Like, didn't Jesus say it's better to give than receive? Didn't Jesus say, give to whoever asks you? I mean, then what's up with the wise not being willing to give to the foolish? But this is not a story about generosity. What this is illustrating is that in the kingdom of God, there are some things that only you can do. Nobody can do it for you. In the kingdom of God, you can't, I can't impart to you my secret history with God. I can't really impart to you the, the, the depths of my relationship with God only you can do that. Now, of course, I can pray for you, and God might bless you and stir up things in you, but, but that's different. You've got to learn how to access those resources for yourselves. So these, these wise bridesmaids, they couldn't give, they literally could not give them what they had. It wasn't theirs to give away. These foolish ones needed to accumulate this oil for themselves. That's what that's illustrating. So the question is, what are you doing to cultivate the presence of God within you? What are you doing to cultivate the presence of God within you? You see, in this parable, the, the foolish ones, they don't pay attention to their oil level. <laughs> and the wise ones do. They're, they're prepared. They're making sure they've got an abundance of it. So what do we do to store up that oil within us? It means we need to, we need to make arrangements for our, in our lives to, you know, whether it's taking time in the morning or setting aside time throughout our day to actually meet with God, to be filled with His Spirit throughout the day. And like I said, this can be costly at times. It might mean saying no to some things in order to actually spend time with the Lord. A lot of this is just incorporating simple things, simple spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices or habits like, you know, reading the Bible and praying and worshiping and fasting and silence and stillness, all those things. There's lots of different tools that we can use to do this. But the thing is, this is going to look different for every single one of us. There's no formula. There's no one-size-fits-all thing that I can give you today that really is going to work for everybody, although I do have a suggestion I'm going to give you in a minute. But what I want to say is I could tell you what I'm doing right now, and the Lord has recently been changing a bit of what I do in my daily time with Him. But what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you. 
every single one of us are different. We're in different, uh, we might be new believers, we might be long-time believers, we might be in a season of real trial and testing, we might be in a season of real abundance and blessing. So getting that oil is going to look different for every single one of us. And the interesting thing is, you know, what worked for you in one season may not work for you in the next season. You know, what I did five years ago looks very different from what I'm doing right now. So we have to evaluate, is what I'm doing helping me? Is it connecting me with God? And so, you know, if I could just give you a a simple rule of thumb, I would just say this, you shall know them by their fruit. (laughs) You need to look at what you're doing in terms of connecting with God and ask yourself, is this actually helping me or is it hindering me? Is this helping me connect with God or is it, is it making it more difficult? Like, do I find myself more full of hope and joy and peace or do I find myself exhausted? Do I find myself more connected and stirred up and loving God more with what I'm doing or do I just feel kind of distant or disinterested or bored or indifferent to the things of God? You have to assess what is working for you and what isn't working for you and find the practices that are going to help you store up oil in your life. But if I could suggest one thing that you can, you, you, there's lots of ways to practice this, but uh, one thing that I think is really important and helpful in these days, it's to learn to simply love Jesus. I mean, that's as basic as it comes. You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So simply turning our hearts to Jesus in adoration is the foundation for all of this. And that, we don't really think of it, at least in the, the, the churches that I grew up in, that, that wasn't really the category. I didn't think of it that way. It's like, well, you, you spend time with God, you, you pray, you do all these different things. But, but actually, reorienting myself to say, I just want to love Jesus. What's brilliant about it is that this is simple. You can do it anytime, anywhere. This is something that we can all practice. And there's a great story that uh, the author Henry Nouwen tells about when he met Mother Teresa. She was visiting Rome, and uh, he had the opportunity to have, you know, half an hour to, to speak with her. And, and she talked to him about this, but I'll, let, uh, I'll read what Henry Nouwen wrote about this because it's fascinating. He said, I remember I was visiting Mother Teresa in Rome, and everyone wanted to talk to her, and I wanted to see her too. I went there as I had some problems. I had some personal struggles, quite a few actually, and I wanted to ask Mother Teresa how to deal with that. I brought all my stuff to her. I talked for about 15 minutes. I just talked about all of my problems, and then she looked at me and said, well, Father, if you spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything that you know is wrong, you'll be fine. I was stopped in my tracks. Obviously, she didn't say anything that I didn't know, but suddenly it hit me as so true and so coming from the right place that that little word was enough for me. So simple. An hour a day in adoration of your Lord. Never do anything you know is wrong. (laughs) And that stopped him in his tracks. But I, I think what many of us, what stops us in our tracks is an hour? An hour? Adoring your Lord? Like, when's the last time you spent an hour adoring Jesus? I mean, I I don't know that I've spent an hour solid doing that, and yet this was her daily practice. And it's probably the reason we all know her name, why she was such a distinguished saint. I think most of us struggle to do this at all. 
Most of us would struggle to do this for five minutes, much less an hour. But rather than comparing ourselves to one of the great saints of the 20th century, I think we should maybe just accept the fact that, you know, we haven't been living in a convent for most of our life. We haven't been uh, uh, living the monastic lifestyle. So maybe we need to start with one minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes of just learning how to adore Jesus and know that that's a great starting place. It's, it, this doesn't have to be this kind of thing where you go into your, you know, prayer closet at home or where you try to get, you know, you have to go and take a personal retreat. I mean, those are all good things to do. But this is something you can practice in the flow of your day, whether you're driving down the road or out walking somewhere or you're, you know, waiting in a queue for something. You can just simply say, you can just pause from what you're doing and simply love Jesus. So just be something simple like, Jesus I love you right now. I, I, I love you. I love that you are gracious. I love that you're compassionate. I love that you're slow to anger. I love that you're rich in love. <laughs> I love that you are that, that you've given us sunny days. And I love you for the beauty of snowfall. I love that the immensity of the ocean that you've created. I, I love that you've invented puppies and all their playfulness. I, I love that you've given me uh, these friends that are so great, the, the, this family that you've blessed me with. I love you for the ways that you've loved me and been faithful to me. I mean, that's maybe 45 seconds right there. But when I do that, what happens is something in my heart begins to shift, and I begin to the oil of his presence begins to fill my heart. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to begin to practice loving Jesus. It's the most basic thing we can do, and it's something you can do anytime, anywhere, just simply withdrawing from, from your, your attention from what's going on around you and just simply fixing your attention and your affection on Jesus. And if we do that for a few weeks, maybe, just taking a little bit of time every day, you'll find that that oil begins to get replenished in your heart. That, that you begin to, to feel that grace that perhaps you were lacking. And then rather than being an unwise <laughs> uh, a follower, you are wise because you've got that oil that we're created to run on. So I want to close today as the worship team comes up by just practically doing this. I just want to give us an opportunity to practice this because we've just talked about it and it seems like, you know, this is, it's easy to listen to a sermon and then uh, switch on to the next thing and forget all about what you've heard. I, I've done that many times when I've been sitting there listening to sermons. So I want us to take a few minutes before we do anything else and I just want you to practice this. I want you to just maybe close your eyes and in your heart, just begin to fix your eyes on Jesus as uh, the author of Hebrews says. And I want you to just take one or two minutes here and begin to tell him what you love about him. Just begin to love him and adore him in your hearts.
So Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you for the many ways that you are faithful to us. We love that you are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. We love that you lead us in green pastures. We love that you lead us beside still waters. We love that you are restoring our souls. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would learn to be filled with the oil of your spirit, Lord, that we would be a people that are full of your presence, full of your life, full of your joy and your peace. And God, for every person in here that is struggling right now, that recognizes I am empty, <laughs> my oil has run out. Oh God, may they know the grace and mercy today that you extend to them. And I pray today, Lord, this would be a day of turning their hearts back to you and receiving the oil of your presence once again. God, would you restore us in you? Would you renew us in you? And would you fill us with your presence today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.